the World Cup is down to the final four as we approach the semifinal games. And now it's time to look back and see how the U.S. men's national team fared in the 2014 edition in Brazil. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett Cleverly. With me, as always, is Ivis Galarsep in Brazil. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Doing pretty well, Garrett. It's uh, I know it's been a while since we did a show. Mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of people are you know wondering where we've been, but uh, you know we've had our issues getting connected, but we finally made it. We finally here, and uh, yes, it's the last week of the World Cup, and it's been a few days since the U.S. went out, but it's time to talk about just what went down. It's it's in crazy to think how quickly this World Cup is already down to the final four teams: Brazil versus Germany, the Netherlands versus. Argentina. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, look, you have you have the four teams that you kind of expected to be there to begin with: Brazil, Argentina. You also expected Germany to be to be there. The Netherlands. I mean, look, they're a powerful team too, a powerful country uh, as well. But I mean, it's just crazy to think, man. The World Cup, dude, it's almost over, almost over and done with. We have what five days left of the World Cup? It's crazy. There, there are only four games left. You have your two semifinals. You have your third place match, and you have your final. And, uh, you know, there aren't any real crazy surprises about the Final Four. Uh, Costa Rica will, could have been. They came the closest. They almost shocked the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they fell a bit short. And, uh, you know, we'll get to that in a bit. But first thing we obviously have to talk about is the U.S. national team going out against Belgium in the round of 16. And you're right. The U.S. did lose 2-1 to one to Belgium. Both Belgium goals were scored in extra time. Julian Green scores a goal for the U.S. But, uh, look, Ivis wasn't the best performance from the U.S. in this match. Played a little back. They didn't look aggressive. They didn't look attacked. They didn't look sharp. It just, um, I mean, look, the U.S. team weathered the storm. But overall, the U.S. just did not look good against Belgium. Right. And, it, I mean, that wasn't the first time they didn't look good. I mean, they... They didn't necessarily look great against Germany either. Um, there are certain aspects of the national team that did show well. Uh, I mean, you can you can definitely <clears throat> tip your hat to the heart that they showed and the determination and, and in a lot of ways the defensive quality that they showed. But when it came down to it, this World Cup should be remembered for the lack of quality in midfield. And that still separates this U.S. national team from the world's best teams. And until that gap is closed... I think the U.S. is always going to struggle uh, in these situations. And look, the U.S. is always going to be able to battle. They're always going to have the heart and the mm-hmm. determination. I mean, that's that's been there for years. That's not a new thing. Jurgen Klinsmann did not invent that. American toughness and American fighting spirit has been around forever. But <clears throat> the quality that – when you look at the teams, this is an example, the teams that are in the Final Four, the, the, the semifinalists, the quality that they have as a collective group in midfield – the technical quality, yep. that's what that's what you need <clears throat> to excel at the very highest level and to be a true world power, a true World Cup contender. And right now the U.S. just, just doesn't have it. And it's not, you know, I don't know if it's coming anytime soon. It, it's going to take some time. It's, there's no magic wand. It's not going to be Jurgen Klinsmann. There's nothing Jurgen Klinsmann's going to do in the next year or two that's going to suddenly change that. But I think it's just we have to be realistic about what this team lacks, what the national team setup lacks, and the fact that it's going to be some time before you can realistically hope that the U.S. can close that gap with the true world powers. That's the first thing. I, it's, it's funny you mention that because that was one of the first things I realized is that just the quality, especially in the midfield, you know, and you could see that kind of against Belgium when Dempsey dropped down a little bit as the game went on and the U.S. quality improved there. But but that's one thing that, that the U.S. severely lacking is, is, look, the U.S. does play well as a team and they can grind out victories, they can grind out results and... 
some other teams can't do that, but but you're right. I mean, the one thing that U.S. lacks is, is you know, quality players who can hold the ball, build up the play. And, I mean, I, I think a part of that, Ivis, had to go into the fact that Josie Altidore is injured. You know, having Dempsey up top, I think, kind of hurt them in this match. You know, I, I kind of would have liked to see you're going to do something a little bit differently against Belgium, you know, increase the attack, you know, give more chances up top. I mean, it was kind of surprising that Jurgen went with the same kind of formation they did against Germany, against Belgium, and the results weren't there against Germany. It was kind of interesting to see it back-to-back. Well, I don't think it was the case of the system. I mean, there were some personnel changes that he made that just didn't flat, flat didn't work. I mean, he put German Jeff Cameron in for Kyle Beckerman, and I don't think anyone would, would say that that worked or that was a positive step for them. Kyle Beckerman had a great group stage, and I understand the logic for, for uh, Klinsman in that Belgium has those big boys in the middle. You're talking Marouin Fellaini, a- Axel Witzel uh, in the middle of the field, and you wanted to get some size in there to combat those guys, and so he puts Jeff Cameron in. And I don't think that, I mean, as among the many moves, I don't think that move worked out. And, I, and I, I you know, you, you have to look at that and say, why mess with a good thing? Jeff, Jeff uh, Kyle Beckerman had himself an excellent group stage. Mm-hmm. Should have stayed. He should have stayed in the game. <clears throat> and I do agree on some level. The whole you know Josie Altidore's injury did play a part. But at the you know what, when you uh, have injuries, then your the rest of your roster has to step up. And when it comes down to it, if Josie Altidore's injury did anything, it exposed Jurgen Klinsmann's line, uh, roster decisions in some way because it goes back to the decision not to bring in a Terrence Boyd. And I know. A lot of people want to talk about Landon Donovan and the fact that he wasn't there and all that. But for me, Terrence Boyd was a bigger absence than Landon Donovan because yep. if you had if you had Terrence Boyd there, you could have plugged Terrence Boyd in as your target striker. He could have done the job and done it well. And then you could have kept Clint Dempsey as the second striker and you could have kept Michael Bradley a little deeper instead of in an advanced role where he just didn't look comfortable. Um, I know some people will disagree. I know some people will say, well, Landon Donovan should have been there. Yeah. But, but you know, that – and we'll get into that whole Landon Donovan, Jerry Klinsman thing a little bit later. But like, I, I need to point this out and I need to stress it. In my opinion, I feel like some people just are stuck in the idea that Landon Donovan today is the same as he was in 2010. Or Landon Donovan from years past. That did Landon not land, current present day Landon Donovan is not the same player that he was even a year ago, let alone four years ago. And I think there's a big assumption that he would have gone to the World Cup and been a starter, been an impact player, would have made the difference. Because for me, he wouldn't have made the difference. Because what this team lacked is not what he gives you. This team lacked uh, ability to con- possess the ball and keep possession. That's not Landon Donovan's game. Landon Donovan's a counterattacking player. He can get he can get forward with his speed and counterattacks. He's not a guy who's going to keep the ball. He's not Pirlo. He's not Xavi. He's not any of that. Those kind of players. So uh, I just feel like it's a little unrealistic and a little misguided to suggest that oh, if Landon Donovan's there, problems would have been solved. No. for me, it would have helped if he was there. Yeah, I think like he 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 because at the end of the day, let's face it, Brad Davis didn't do didn't didn't show anything. Chris Wondolowski didn't show anything. Graham Zussi struggled. So from that standpoint, you could say, well, he couldn't have done worse than those guys. I agree there. But, but you understood there. But you understood why – but you and I had this discussion of why those guys got called up in the first place. Look, if, if you want someone taking a free kick, <coughs> I, I prefer Graham Zussi or Brad Davis taking it over Landon Donovan. Right, but that's very specific. But we want to talk about uh, what you can do for an attack. And at the end of the day, those other guys just didn't bring it. They didn't get the job done. Wondolowski didn't get the job done. And for me, and I said it when they named the roster, I yep. thought Terrence Boyd should have gotten picked over Wondolowski. And the proof's in the pudding. Uh, Brad Davis, that, you know, going back to, to the roster when it was announced, everyone wanted to jump on Julian Green. 
because, you know, and, and I said it at the time, I said it, this isn't about Julian Green. This is about Brad Davis and Chris Wondolowski. If you want to take issue with, with the roster uh, selections, don't point to Julian Green because he, you, like there is a very clear understand, uh, explanation for Julian Green. The guy's an exciting, young, talented player. You want to get him experience at a World Cup. And he has some special qualities. Mm-hmm. And the other, you know, the, for me, it was always the bigger question marks were Brad Davis and Chris Wondolowski. The bigger chance, Clinton was taking a bigger chance with those guys. And at the end of the day, neither one of those panned out. Yeah. And uh, to Klinsman's credit, others panned out. DeAndre Edlin panned out mm-hmm. big time. I mean, I, I was among the many who said, wow, really? DeAndre Ellen? That's a shocker. Maybe you're bringing him in just for training. I honestly didn't see him making an, an impact at the World Cup, and he absolutely made a World Cup, uh, an impact at the World Cup. John Brooks, a lot of people were killing that pick, and I, I personally liked it. I personally understood it. And clearly, he's, you know, he showed what he can do at the World Cup. And then Julian Green comes in, his first appearance, scores a goal. Uh, so you can't knock that pick. Uh, but getting back to the point, the whole the whole Landon Donovan thing, um, he I think he would have helped provide some depth, but I don't think he would have been the magic bullet that some people seem to think he would have been. No, I, and I completely agree with you on that. And I mean, when you go to that final play of, of Chris Wondolowski, you know, missing that shot, and, and you and I discussed this, where you know, late in the game, you need a goal, you bring in a guy like Wondolowski because, look, as we all know from watching MLS. Uh, Wondolowski doesn't stop. He constantly moves. He finds space. He created space for himself. And there's also no guarantee that, oh, Donovan would have hit that. Because, look, fact of the matter is 99 out of 100 times, Wondolowski puts that into the back of the net. So it's all hindsight, 2020, look back. And, look, even if you did have Donovan, then that game could have been completely and vastly different. For me, the Belgium thing, one of the biggest things that really stood out to me was uh, was Fabian Johnson getting injured in the first half. I really think that hampered the U.S. and, and what Jurgen kind of wanted to do. You know, him going yeah. down, I, I thought that really kind of handcuffed Jurgen for a while. Look, that obviously didn't help matters, but uh, you know what? That's taking away from the facts of the, the main facts of the whole thing are Belgium more talented than the U.S. The U.S. was going to have to play an, a, a perfect game, and they were going to need Belgium not to play well in order for them to win this game. Enough that no other excuses need to be discussed, no other issues, no injuries, no any other thing, no lineup the lineup decisions. At the end of the day, Belgium, USA, when you stack them up, if, the, if Belgium's on their game, they're probably going to win that game. That's just the reality. And what we need to look at is the talent gap and how do we close the talent gap. And that's the big question. That's what Jurgen Klinsmann is going to be dealing with for the next four-year cycle, assuming he sticks around. How does he address the talent gap? And it's it's not – there is no magic recipe for it. It's gradual. It, it takes MLS getting better, not, and not just talking on the field, but in player development. I mean, DeAndre Ellen's your first true homegrown player to play in the World Cup. MLS has been around since 1996, and now you have your first homegrown player. I mean, they need to start stepping it up. They need to do a better job of producing players, producing young players, giving them avenues to play. And, and they're, they're trying to improve in, in some ways. You, you now have reserve, you know, reserve league. You have the whole USL pro arrangement. So from that standpoint, you'd like to think we're going to see a little bit more of a pipeline. But when it all boils down to it, Belgium had more talent. And they, that talent stepped up. The U.S. did not have the kind of game they needed to have to really make a game of it. So I don't know. Like for me, I, and, and, that's a, and look, we're not going to oh, just crap on the U.S. all, all day. We, let's just be real about it. They showed great heart. They showed great determination. Tim Howard was unbelievable. I mean, I'm here in Brazil. I have my family in Brazil. My my 10-year-old cousin and his friends, they know who Tim Howard is now because they saw that game. And, I mean, that that's just kind of the impact that a World Cup 
a starring World Cup performance can have is that you step up on the biggest stage there is, people will remember that for a long time. So that's credit to him mm-hmm. and credit to the defenders who had outstanding World Cups like Matt Beasler, Omar Gonzalez, Fabian Johnson. Uh, there were a lot of good performances, but you know what? You, like I have to keep going back to the main point. Midfield quality. This group lacked midfield quality. You could say in 2010 the group lacked midfield quality. And I don't know if four years from now we're going to necessarily have uh, have that improve. Yes, we will, Ivis. Come on. Gedlin came from the academy, dude. All these academy kids are going to start coming up, man. Come on. Start drinking the Kool-Aid, dude. They're going to save us in 2018. You know that. All right. Look. Kidding. Look. <laughs> Kidding aside, I will say there is a lot of interesting young talent in the pipeline. A lot of skilled midfielders uh, with really good technical ability. But we're talking now U seventeen. I, I know, I know. You know these guys. Uh, you know, and they're kids. They're kids still. still. That's the. But thing. they're young. Exactly. Yeah. They still have so many steps to get through, and that's what I think people get get lost in. Like it, obviously, when the World Cup ended, the project the projections started already on. 2018 who's gonna be on 2018 i obviously did my projection and it just kills me how people want to throw in completely unproven players into the conversation and it's like listen i appreciate that you're hoping that someone becomes the next guy but until he actually plays as a professional yeah no. and has shown that he can get to that even next level of being a pro then what's the point right i mean we're talking guys like junior flores rubio rubin i mean People asking about Ben Lederman, who's like, what is he, 14, 13? Like, the bar, the kid at Barcelona? Uh, like, give me a break, right? Emerson Emerson Heinemann, uh, another talented young American. A lot of skill. <laughs> There's a lot of skilled players coming up the U, U15, U17, U19, U20, all yes. that ranks. There's probably more skilled talent than there's ever been. But slow it down, folks. These kids still have to even get to the pros and show they can do it at the pro level because there is no promise. There is no guarantee that they're going to succeed on the next level. So let's just you know slow down the projections. Let's look at – there's players now who are playing and getting time. Luis Gill. Uh, exactly. Will Trapp. Luis Gill, Will Trapp. Uh, even Joe Jow, who just signed with Borussia Dortmund's B team, but he got minutes in the Bundesliga at Hoffenheim at the end of the season. So he is at least done enough to uh, earn the trust of a professional coach to get on the field. So for me, like when you looked at my projected – and I look, the, when you're projecting World Cup rosters four years out, it's – it's at, at the end of the day, it's an exercise in futility. Yeah. This is my, you know, I, 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 did it, I did it in 2002. I did it in 2006. I did it in 2010. I did it again now. You do it just to kind of gauge what's there, what might be there. But there's a certain point. Like you can't throw names in there no. of guys who aren't even close to playing professionally like that. You know, I mean, you can, but it, but then it's just a little absurd, right? I mean, at some point, you're you're just throwing darts at a, 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 a you know, you're throwing crap at a wall, and hoping, well, of course. hoping some of it sticks. Well, so, and, and then and me, then you're always gonna have guys that are gonna be stepping up over the next couple of years and stuff like that too. So, like, as you said, you gotta kind of put it into perspective. I mean, look, there's tons of guys who play major league soccer who are still very young, and I mean, Matt Beasler. I mean, come on, how many guys had Matt Beasler playing in the World Cup at the end of 2010? I know you had Omar Gonzalez, but I don't think you had Matt Beasler though. No, nobody did. I mean, he had what he he had, you know, one year as a pro under his belt, and uh, he, he as much as he was, you know, was a pretty solid player. Like, yeah, no one, no one had had him anywhere near. No one had Graham Zusi. No one had, you know, even Wondolowski. Uh, and no, these guys had zero caps. So, exactly. 
I will say this. I will say this. Uh, looking at the talent pool and looking at the the the, the age, the, the when you're talking 18 to 25 year old range of talent, there's a lot of talent. And for there me, is. I think the 2018 team absolutely could be better than this 2014 team. That being said, does that mean the gap is really going to close between the U.S. national team and the Argentinas and Germany's and Netherlands and, and Brazil's of the world? I don't think I still don't think we're there. Uh, I, th- I still think it's going to take even beyond this four year cycle. But here's hoping that some of this young talent really develops. And here's hoping more of them get over to Europe, get over, get get playing in bigger leagues and better leagues, because at the end of the day, that's what's going to help you get better. That's what I mean. Let's this this have a history lesson for our young our young listeners. The the best for me for my money the best U.S. national team we've ever had was the 2002 team, and the midfield heart of that team Claudio Reyna, John O'Brien. They honed their games overseas. John O'Brien at Ajax as a young player developed there. Claudio Reyna put his time in, put his years in there. I know he played four years in Virginia. He played college soccer, but then he went to Europe and honed his game. And that's why that was the best midfield you, you ever saw the U.S. have at a World Cup was in 2002. So here's hoping some of these guys make moves. Here's hoping, uh, you know, DeAndre Yellen makes the move. Here's hoping Luis Gill makes the move because you need to test yourself at a higher level. And I, I know MLS is getting better. It absolutely is getting better, folks. But it's still not at that level of the top leagues in Europe of, uh, you know, obviously the top four or France. Or the Netherlands, like those leagues are better leagues, and our the American player needs to start going there more often. I say it's still going to take another eight years. I think we'll improve in Russia, but I think once 22 rolls around, that's when a lot of these kids, and, and like you said, I mean, some of these kids are 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. I mean, it's look, these guys, you know, they're going to become good players when they're 23, 25, 26. And, and that's going to be the difference. And, and I completely agree with you. You know, you need to curb expectations a little bit because. The talent's there, and these kids are coming up, but it's it's a little much to start, you know, you, saying, "Oh, this is the kid," and these are the same people that if that kid doesn't pan out, then they'll throw him to the side and go look for another fourteen-year-old kid, and then pimp that kid up, and if that kid doesn't turn out, and the fact of the matter is, every kid that plays for the U.S. Nat, youth national team, that's not guaranteed that they're going to be playing for the uh, for the U.S. men's national team, the senior team. There's no guarantee of that. You know how many guys have played for youth national team in history? There's a lot of guys. There's a lot right. of them, and they don't you, all look, play in MLS anymore. Look, the success rate for youth nationals is, is not 100%. It's like, not. So for all these, you know, there have been talented players in the past who were supposed to be superstars and just didn't. I'm not. Um, you know what? It happens. It's just the process where it's mm-hmm. not a perfect. It's not a perfect system. Uh, you're going to have some players make it through. Mm-hmm. Some players not make it through. But I think you need more guys to be going to Europe at younger ages. Look at Michael Bradley. Michael Bradley, as a teenager, went to the Netherlands and and, and you know paid his dues, played at a higher level, went from there to Germany, went from there to Italy, and then you know he's at Roma at the 2010 World Cup. He was outstanding. Obviously, he didn't have as good a World Cup this time around, and I think part of that had to do with the the role Yuri Klinsmann had him play. But I think getting you know he still his game reached the levels that it reached because he went to Europe. Well, Josie Altidore, same thing. See, I, I don't. Maybe I disagree with you a little bit on this one, and and I think a part of it is the fact that 
that that you're going to put an emphasis on making Major League Soccer year-round. And I think the other thing that, that hurts youth soccer development in, in this country is kids playing multiple sports. Kids, the, the, the reason no, why these... Then, I, I, no, I'm, I'm being serious. I'm being serious. If kids, if kids... No, I'm being serious. If kids that's, in this country play soccer from January to December and that is the only sport they play... It's already a specialized sport. That's not even a thing anymore. Mm. Specialized sports is, a, is is already the trend in America. You're, you're, about, 50, you're about 10 years late with that no, but the, but the not but I'm saying not every not kid even. does that, and some of it also has to deal with the coaching. The coaching in this country is not there. That's why you're, we you're completely getting lost right now. <laughs> it, 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 there's too many too many. Look, obviously there's a million things going on. There's a million things that could be better. No, no kidding. But getting back to the main point, the best talent in this country, nothing. Look, MLS is doing well. It's getting better. It's it's uh, hopefully now younger players are getting more opportunities. But the very best players, the very best players in MLS, if if they're young enough, should be trying to go to Europe. They should because for me, that is where they're going to really hone their game. And we've seen it through the years. We've seen it. No, I, no, I agree. I'm just saying that I think there's pockets in this country that can produce players that are that good. Um, going back to the World Cup, though, Ivis, um, we talked about this. A couple guys stood out to you. You know, DeAndre Yedlin. Uh, Matt Beasler, Omar Gonzalez, uh, Kyle Beckerman. I mean, as far as those guys, was there anyone else that, that really stood out uh, for you in this World Cup that just really took advantage of, of the opportunity that Jurgen gave them? Well, the best player, at the, for me, the best player at the World Cup for the U.S. was Jermaine Jones. I thought he had the best body of work, the best four-game tournament, and, and I think there's a consensus there. His, his determination, his tireless work rate, his he, you know, he he attacked, he defended, he did it all. His he goal against all. Portugal? Goal against Portugal, yeah. his, his assist on Dempsey's goal against Ghana. He really did everything you could ask of him. And as I wrote, you know, a while back, you know, part of, I, you know, part of it, I think part of the motivation, obviously he was motivated by the fact that it's the World Cup and he's representing the U.S. He loves the U.S. But also part of it is, look, he wants to be in MLS. He wants to be a designated player. He wants to move his family to America and live in America. And not only did he play great on the field, but off the field, the guy became a media darling. He did every interview anybody would ask to do. He did more media than any other player on the team. Meanwhile, like DeMarcus Beasley did, did media for one day. I mean, the guy's playing in his fourth World Cup, and all he can manage is to do one day of media uh, the entire tournament, which I thought for me was a little absurd. You know, And, and I know some people will say, well, hey, players don't have to do media uh, you know, it, 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 like because I know some people always defend players and say, you know, uh, me, media is unreasonable and, and we sh- we shouldn't expect them to speak to us. But look, it's not about me. It's about the public. And if you're a player at the World Cup, you're a role model and people want to hear from you. And it's not just the fans. It's the kids. Right. If you're if you're, you know, playing in your fourth World Cup, which is history, you're making history. Why should you not be speaking as much as you possibly can? To the public and getting the word out there and get and get and sharing your experiences. You should be doing it every day. And the fact that someone like Beasley didn't talk much, someone like Jeff Cameron didn't talk much, uh, I think it's a joke, to be honest with you. But back to Jermaine Jones. Jermaine Jones, he's the guy, he's still working on his English, but that didn't matter. He did every bit of media he could possibly do. And obviously 
part of that was to raise his profile, and and he did that. I think he did that successfully. I think he he impressed a lot of people on and off the field, and I really hope he makes it uh, works it out and someone signs him in the MLS because I think he'll bring a lot to the table. The guy showed he's a quality player, high level player. If he wanted to stay in Europe, he could absolutely stay in Europe. Even though he's 32, he still can play at a very high level. So here's hoping somebody in MLS takes a chance, gives him a designated player slot. Because I think the MLS would be better off with him in it. I think it'd be awesome to have watch Jermaine Jones every single week. I think that'd be too cool. I mean, you still see him, you know, playing in Europe, but you know what I mean. Playing MLS against, you know, taking, you know, a, him going head to head with Michael would, Bradley and Clint Dempsey. Oh, how cool is that? He would, he would dominate. He would be a dominant force oh, yeah. in MLS. There's no doubt about it. And I know before the World Cup, most people would have thought that statement would be crazy. But it's funny how he is gone from being an enigma and a guy that most U.S. fans didn't really care about to a guy that U.S. fans love. And, I mean, if you take a poll right now, like, it's so many U.S. fans have been converted on Jermaine Jones because of what he showed in this World Cup. It, it, I, I can't recall a, a, a player a player's stock going so far in another direction in the eyes of U.S. fans as much as it has gone completely in the positive way for Jermaine Jones. Oh, I think everyone knew that Jermaine Jones was a quality player. I think it, it was no, just an erratic no, play. No, oh, come no. on. Jermaine Jones has always been a good player. It was, you know, his You just said everybody knew that he was a... No, everybody did not know. Well, then people don't know what they're watching. Then they don't know what they're doing then. No they, were go- no, they were going off of what he did with the national team. And, and, and as you just said, he was inconsistent. The most His past couple of years with the national team have been very inconsistent. So if people only have that to go on, then yes, I guess they're going right. to think this guy's not that good. Not everybody's watching the Bundesliga. Not, every, not everybody gets to see Schalke play or, or was able to watch him play in Champions League. But yeah, don't they want to watch him play? He's a Champions League player. Well, there you go. So <laughs> you know what? The guy is quality. Now, every, now more, most U.S. fans are aware, and hopefully he can make it into the league. Fabian Johnson had a great World Cup. And I tell you what, I said it before the tournament. I thought it was a mistake that he signed for Mönchengladbach, and I stand by that. I got to believe if he was a free agent right now, if he was on a free transfer right now, he'd have his pick of clubs to sign with right now because he was outstanding at the World Cup. So, you know, I know nothing against Mönchengladbach. They're a solid team. They're looking to be a Champions League team. Uh, they're a quality Bundesliga side, but, I mean, I don't know, man. I thought he, I think he should have aimed higher. Um, but hey, hopefully Mönchengladbach makes it to the Champions League, and then you know what? He can parlay that. I do have to say, Demarcus Beasley. As much as I will knock him for not doing much media, and I'll say it again, it's a joke. He should have done more media. Because um, look, you guy could be a role model for kids right there. You know, like and, and again, if you're a young black kid in America who is into soccer and cares about soccer, the fact that you didn't get to hear Beasley's story from his mouth more often in this tournament. Is for me unfortunate and pretty sad. But on the field, Demarcus Beasley, outstanding World Cup. The guy turned back the clock. He uh, in the in the Belgium game in the first half of that game, there were there were points in that game where he was like the only guy really who who who, who seemed completely plugged in. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking field player because obviously Tim Howard was on some Matrix stuff, saving everything. But Beasley in that game, it's crazy. Four World Cups, and he might have played his best World Cup game. In his last World Cup game. And that was, for me, hats off to him. He he won every battle. He showed off all the tricks. The guy can still play at a oh, high yeah. level. And completely bought into the whole idea of the left back position. It's funny to think back, I don't know, back when he first went, uh, when he, Klinsman first put him at, at, at left back against uh, in the snow game against Costa Rica. And then in Azteca against Mexico. People were like, oh, I don't know about this. This guy's, you know, they still remembered like four years earlier him playing at left back and being terrible. 
Uh, but he completely bought in to left back and just made it his position. And you got to give him a lot of credit for that. Um, when you mentioned Jermaine Jones, obviously a lot, like you said, lots of people flocking him now due to his performance. One person who you and I expected to have a good World Cup, people are staying away from, and, and that's Michael Bradley. And I mean, as far as the guys who disappointed the most of the World Cup, Ivis, I mean, Michael Bradley has to stand out as number one of the most disappointing list of players from the U.S. men's national team. Right. Well, before we get to all the disappointing parts of it, we I do have to point out Matt Beasler, another player, outstanding. And now he's probably going to parlay his World Cup into a transfer move. And it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. And it couldn't happen to a better player. Like the guy, he is very underrated. and Or he was. Now I think people realize the level that he can play at. And the fact is he can play in Europe. He can play for my money. He can play in any league in Europe. He has the technical quality. He has the intelligence. He has the athleticism. He has the full package. And here's hoping a deal gets done and he, go, and he goes to Europe because he's – already been at the highest level in MLS for how many years now? He's already been either the best or the second best center back in the league for three years now. It's time to move on and challenge himself and improve his game so that hopefully four years from now, he is still a factor on the U.S. national team. Now, back to the to the flops, quote-unquote the flops. Yes, Michael Bradley. Again, the expectations were so high for Michael Bradley going into the World Cup that he had the farthest to fall. And obviously, based on the roster, based on the lineups, based on the roles that Jurgen Klinsmann gave him, it wasn't it what he wasn't set up. It wasn't the best setup for him because he just hasn't played that role that often for the national team. So if to ask him to be in a more advanced role where there's obviously more, you know, more opposing players to navigate around, more pressure on the ball. He can't survey the field like he did, like he normally does from deep in midfield. It just wasn't a great. It wasn't a great role for him to have to play, and he struggled with it. And to be fair to him, defensively, the guy did a ton of defensive work. I mean, he led the entire World Cup in distance covered in the group stage, and he put in so much work. So you have to applaud that and respect that. But the attacking side of things just wasn't. It just wasn't there. It just wasn't there. And as much as you have to knock him on that. You also have to knock Klinsman on it for forcing him into a role where, you know what, it just really didn't showcase him well. Some other guys that did struggle, though, Graham Zuzzi, Brad Davis, they 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 kind of just looked a little a step behind in the whole World Cup. Yeah, I mean, Davis didn't do I – mean, he had an opportunity against Germany, didn't really show anything. And Graham Zuzzi, I mean, I, I've always – you know, and I've always liked his game. He's impressed me in the past, but in this World Cup, especially in the Belgian game, I mean, I can't like if if there's a like top ten worst national team performances in a World yeah. Cup, Graham Zussi's uh, Belgium match, and particularly his first half, unbelievably atrocious, and uh, it, it was just it was shocking. And I don't know if he was overwhelmed by the moment. I don't know. I don't know what happened. He just didn't. He wasn't there. He was he was a mess. His touch was off. Deflent. He was beat defensively. Everything uh, was off. Turtles, Everything was off on that day. Everything, every, you know what? I mean, he had a bad the only game. Thing that did, a bad game. The only thing that didn't happen then, his hair didn't fall out. That was like everything <laughs> else bad. Everything bad. Everything bad that could happen to Graham Zussi happened, except he kept his amazing hair. That was pretty much it. That was pretty much it. Hey, as you long, as you, if your hair game is strong, Ivis, then that can mask a lot of issues yeah, in your life. Winning. He's winning. He's winning on that front. Yeah. He's got amazing hair. Let's face it. But kidding aside. Here, you know what? Here's hoping he shakes it off and gets back to MLS and and and, and tries to continue. You know, continues improving his game. Uh, he's still, for me, he's still a quality player. 
but he just didn't bring it at the World Cup, and you it was know, unfortunate. Well, as you know, I mean, some, look, good players, and Graham Zuzzi is a good player, sometimes they just have bad days. And, you know, we all have bad days at the office. A lot of people have heard this on the show. I've had bad days on the show all the time, too. So um, another player that's kind of an enigma, and, and, I've, and I've seen people go either way, is Alejandro Bedoya. This is a guy we haven't really spoken about that much. I mean, we, we, we've spoken about his work rate. The guy is up and down the field the whole entire game. But but the one thing that's that's always kind of amused me when people talk about him is they go, oh, well, he contributes nothing in the attack. But that's not why he was brought in you know, for the World Cup. I mean, he's brought in to play defense on the wing and provide energy and to be able to get up and down the field as fast as possible. I mean, what did you think about his performance at the World Cup as a whole, Ivis? Well, I think he gave you that. I think he gave you energy. He gave you defensive work. But you know what? At the end of the day, if you're a midfielder, you need to bring to the attack and he just didn't bring much to the attack so for me i'm not going to give him a terrible grade because he did do the things that you want him to do but you need him to do a little more you need him to be involved in the attack a little more and that's why for me i think you know when you're looking ahead to 2018 uh you know i didn't have him on my projected 2018 roster even though he'll be about 31 in 2018 so some people were asking me well why wasn't bedoya on there and my thing is look the, the energy and work rate part of things will start to diminish once you hit 30 and beyond 30. And if you don't have that and you haven't shown the attacking qualities on the international level, yeah. why would you be on the World Cup? So for me, and it's interesting because I've seen Bedoya do well from an attacking standpoint. I mean, I've seen that. He can't – like that's been part of his game, but he just didn't show it in this World Cup. And you know what? That – that did not help the attack either. I mean, you have him not really doing much in the attack. Graham Zussi not really doing much in the attack. So flank-wise, as far as flank options, there just wasn't much coming from the flanks. So that didn't help matters either. Um, so I, I, would, I wouldn't call Bedoya a flop, but I understand why people want more out of that position, and that's completely fair. That's completely fair. And that's the one thing that I've always thought is lacked from Bedoya's game is the quality in the final third. Now, on the club level, because, I mean, if, if you watch, I mean, he, he does well in Europe, but at the international stage, Bedoya just doesn't seem to kind of have that extra step. Also, also, the service for the U.S. in the World Cup was was probably the worst I have ever seen it, other than that Brooks goal. Other than that, it, the service was n- not the greatest. Um, well, who, who are you serving it to? They had no one to serve it to. There was no Josie Altador. There was no Terrence Boyd. There was no Eddie Johnson. There was no Hercules Gomez. You had Clint Dempsey. We got, no, we, we got some big, you know, Omar Gonzalez is in the box. Matt Beasler's in the box. I mean, we're I'm not talking to, about we're in the like, run of play. Oh, oh, oh in the run of play. You know, we we had uh, we had Julian we had Green that. out there, we man. Just, Come on. I don't know, man. I, you know what? Service was the least of the problems. Possession. Just possessing the ball. Oh, Being yeah. able to keep the ball. Oh, quality that, that, quality that, in that the midfield, just, yeah. Was, it wasn't there. Uh, it wasn't we didn't there. talk about Julian Green's goal, though, Ivis. Unbelievable! What I mean, I think he meant to strike that a little harder, but hey, it went into yeah, the I mean, back of the net. It went into the back of the net. It's, it says this: it says three caps and one goal. Doesn't matter how that goal went in. He put the goal in. It, it was that was quality, man. That was a nice, nice goal by him. If you, listen, a, listen. If you score a goal A in the World Cup and B against Thibaut Courtois, you're doing pretty well for yourself. Because guess what? You know who can't, who hasn't scored a goal against Thibaut Courtois? Lionel Messi. So all right, just I'm just saying. Look, Julian Green, did, he could have hit that better. I'm sure he wanted to hit it better. But he scored a goal, and he showed his quality in that appearance. It was a cameo, 15 minutes, whatever, whatever. The guy, he he, he was fearless. He stepped out there yep. ready to play. He went at people. He, I mean, think about it. You're on the, you're on the World Cup stage, knockout round. Your team is down. 
It's it's equalize or go home. How I mean, as much pressure as you could possibly put on a, on a teenage kid, and he didn't look phased at all. He's got the quality, folks. He's got the quality. Uh, and, and here's hoping Bayern Munich handles him well. Here's hoping Pep Guardiola, Pep Guardiola, you know, finds the right situation for him. I don't know if he's going to get loaned out or if he's going to get minutes this year, but he needs to start playing. He needs to start playing first team minutes somewhere. And for me, maybe it's a little unrealistic to see, expect him to play much for Bayern. But you know what? Loan him out. If you're not going to give him any minutes, loan him out because he needs to start playing and start developing immediately because the guy's going to be a key part of the Olympic team, a key part of the Copa America team, and obviously a key part of the World Cup team in 2018. Ah, Copa America, man, that's two years away. I'm already getting excited about that. It'll, it'll be here before you know it. I know. Um, well, it's time, time to move on. I'll put the final thing in this. I'll put the World Cup into perspective. The U.S. survived Germany, Portugal, and Ghana. And yes, they, they did get dominated by Belgium, but the U.S. did put Belgium on the ropes at the very end. So I think overall, also, U.S., second time in consecutive years that they've gone to the round of 16. So, look, I, I know that there's things that we can point out, but I think overall in the grand scheme of things, it's another step forward for U.S. soccer. Could you agree on that, Ivis? It was for me. It was a successful World Cup, and it was a successful World Cup. A because yes, like you said, they advanced from the group of death. And here's what I find interesting: the people who say, "Well, they went as far as they went in 2010. There's been no progress. Jurgen Klinsmann has failed. He should be fired." Like, what is wrong (laughs) with these people? Like, it's listen, folks. This isn't a game of Pac-Man or Donkey Kong where you play the same for the same level exactly. The, the group they played in 2014 was significantly stronger than the group that they played in 2010. It's not even close, folks. How do you compare the two? How do you sit there and say it's the same thing to advance in 2014 from the from the group of death and the group and to advance from 2010 from the group that was called easy on the front page of English tabloids? Like it's not even close to the same thing. All right. So, you know, like, I'm sorry that that's for me. I thought that was a little hilarious. Like I have my issues and not even issues, but you have to be realistic. And and I don't think enough people are realistic about the flaws that remain in this U.S. team and the U.S. program and the U.S. setup. And that's why I felt I wanted to come out in the beginning of the show to, to talk about that, because that needs to be put out there. Like, you know, we can't live in this fantasy land where we think it's OK. And this team almost did it. And this team is as good as the elite teams in the world. It's not. It needs to get better. But having said that, this U.S. team got the got a ton out of itself, out of the, out of the group, and to get out of the group of death, to beat Ghana, to to draw Germany, uh, draw Portugal, and they should have beaten Portugal. They obviously blew it late, and then to you know stand firm against Germany, losing one nil to Germany. Say what you want. Yes, it's a loss, but they need they kept their defense kept Germany off the board, and that game could have easily gotten ugly after that first goal because you saw Germany step it up. Yeah. Their tails were up. They were looking to blow this game open. They they weren't able to. Credit to the U.S. for that. So there is progress. There was progress. Not in the literal sense, obviously, because it's still round of 16, round of 16, losing an extra time, losing an extra time. But the group of death was tougher than 2010. Belgium, 2014, significantly better than, 28, than 2010 Ghana. So from that standpoint, you can't just look at it and say, well, the two teams got to to the same point. It's the same thing. There is no progress. That's just ridiculous. So that's number one. Number two, 
the amount of attention that this team was able to generate and draw uh, was significant. And if the team didn't perform, they would not have taken advantage of that. It wouldn't. Have, they, there was a clear building tidal wave of interest that was helped along by their performance against Ghana, by the victory against Ghana, by the performance against Portugal. And, and look, no one's saying it was a great 90 minutes against Ghana. Obviously, they scored early and they withstood a lot of pressure. Uh, against Ghana and even the Portugal game, it was a pretty sloppy game, um, and they almost had it won except for the last ten seconds. It w- it wasn't pretty by any means, and 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 it's okay for people to want that. It's okay for people to want the U.S. to play three strong games and come out and 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 be great every single game. But this is the World Cup. Name me a team that's been great every single game. There's not many teams that you can say that about. Well, especially in this World that, Cup, no way. <clears throat> well, in this World Cup, the four teams left, none of them you could say had had been great every game. No, they've all let's struggled. See. Bra- let's see. Brazil, they tied Mexico. They didn't necessarily look great against Chile. Oh, and, especially uh, Croatia. Yeah, exactly. Well, they won the game 3-1. They, but didn't, yeah, they, didn't, they didn't look dominate. that good against Croatia, no. They they haven't been that great. Argentina uh, has been okay, but they haven't dominated. Germany tied Ghana and and had issues against Algeria. The Netherlands um, had struggles with Australia and nearly lost to Mexico. So, you know what? It, it, it's, it's fine for people to want the U.S. to win every game and, and control possession every game, dominate every game. That's the ideal. But just because that doesn't happen doesn't make everything a failure. It doesn't make, oh, man, this is a disappointment, a missed opportunity, blah, blah, blah. The opportunity was not missed because, you know what? We look at the numbers. We see the the audience. We see the TV ratings. The opportunity was not missed. The opportunity was, there, it was, the opportunity was taken advantage mm-hmm. of. Could it have been taken advantage of more? Absolutely. Would it have been amazing to have USA versus Lionel Messi in the quarterfinals on the 4th of July weekend? Oh, um, absolutely. I mean, the, let's face it. The executives at ESPN and Univision would be popping champagne if that would have happened. Like, it would have been unbelievable. The ratings would have been through the roof. But just because the, the, the best-case scenario didn't happen doesn't mean this was not a success. It was a, it was a success because they got through the group of death, and in the process, they captured the imagination of a country that now has more interest in soccer than it did before the World Cup. So from that standpoint, yes, it is a success. Could it have been better? Absolutely. But was it a success? I'm going to sit here and say it absolutely was a success. Well, and the other thing I'll take from that is is I look at the players on this team, and we talked about this. I mean, only a few players from 2010 you know, played it, who played in the 2010 World Cup played in this World Cup. And, and when you look at this defense and some other guys, you know, this is another World Cup under the belt playing quality opponents. And four more years of Jurgen Klinsmann, who has shown that he will schedule Mexico, Italy, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Belgium, Germany. I mean, he will schedule tough opponents. You have guys that are young, John Yedlin, Omar Gonzalez, Matt Beasler, John Brooks, Timmy Chandler, Fabian Johnson, Michael Bradley. I mean, these guys four more years from now having this World Cup experience under their belt, it will only serve them for the next World Cup. I, look, there's a lot of positives that we can continue to continue to take. It's from a young this. group. It's a young group and and that is gonna help. I think that is gonna help in twenty in twenty eighteen. No doubt about it. And as much as Klinsman didn't want to say that that was a factor in how he picked this team. It absolutely was a factor, and now it stands to reason that that that, that was well. It was a, it was a good idea on his part, and 
you know what? There's still some issues that aren't necessarily going to be addressed between now and the four years. But I do think there is reason for optimism and reason to believe that the next team can be stronger than this team. So if you're looking at it from that point, <clears throat> here's hoping that happens. Mm-hmm. But if anyone wanting the magic wand to be waved and all of a sudden, you know, there's an American Pirlo or in a, a, an American Xavi or, or, or that coming along, that's not coming along. And unfortunately, that's kind of, you know what, you need that world-class elite level uh, midfielder creator uh, these other teams have. These other teams have, whether it's Mesut Ozil, Ozil in Germany or, you know, Oscar or Neymar for Brazil or Aryan Robin for the Netherlands or, you know, that, and that, I think we've covered all the teams, right, that are in the Final Four? Yep. Or even in Bel- even Belgium when you talk about Aiden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne, even though Hazard was terrible in the quarters. Um, the U.S., that's what the U.S. lacks. And here's hoping that some of these young talents, some of these skilled youngsters that people want to Anoint already. Hopefully, get. Hopefully, come. You know, they they get to that point. Hopefully, pan, you get one or two of these guys to pan out in the next four years. It's a little bit of wishful thinking, but who knows? Maybe one of these guys steps up. Maybe Junior Flores or Rubio Rubin or or any of these young kids that are in the pipeline. One of them just uh, there's a spark, or even Julian Green. Maybe Julian Green yeah, becomes maybe. one of those guys. So, or maybe some kid, that, we, or maybe some kid we we haven't even heard of yet, Ivis. There you go. Well, you know, hey, Harrison Ship, yeah, killing it in MLS. Twenty-two year old, twenty-two year old midfielder. Who knows? Maybe he can help be a difference maker. So he looks. He, first off, he looks. Just watching him play is just. He's on another level. Yeah, it's he's exciting. on. He's it's, on it, another level. It's exciting to see a lot of young talent to look at. But you know, uh, not to be the pessimist, but I just, I just want to say it. I just don't see four years time there being that wow, world class impact midfielder creator that you need to be among the elite. Hopefully the next cycle we will see that. But well, I think we could see know, one, uh, but but you don't you, you need you need more than one guy though. You need five, six, seven guys in your team to be hopefully. able to do that. I mean, Christ, when Brazil has well, you know David Luiz one. dribbling out of the back, I mean, could you I mean that he's what? Your 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 ninth attacking option on your team and he's your center back and look how much skill he has. It's U.S. needs more. I think we'll see maybe one or two, but I think 10, 10 years from now, Ivis, is when we'll see a complete transformation. We'll see. We'll see. But you know what? It's exciting. The next four years should be exciting. You got the Olympics. You got Copa America, Gold Cup. You got a lot of young kids ready to yep. try to show and prove. And um, you know what? It's a good time right now. There's a lot of, there is a lot of good talent. There is a lot of good talent. But I just think most ex- temper expectations and, and really try to put things in context. Because like going back to the whole thing, it just boggled my mind. The people who are like, well, you made it to the same point that you made it four years ago. It's the same thing. There's no progress. Like, that's nah, I'm yawn. sorry. I mean, no offense, but I think that's just idiotic. That's I mean, if we're, if we're Mexico and it's the fifth time in a row we've done that, okay, then we can have that conversation. But this is the first time the U.S. has <laughs> yeah. ever done it back-to-back World Cups. I mean, just take it yeah. easy, everyone. Um, it's Slow and steady. Slow I know, steady. I know, I know. But you know how people are, though. Um, and the other good thing, as we said, Jurgen has a good core group of players that he hey. can rely on, that are young, experienced, tested. Jurgen's putting together a nice little team, and he's revamped it. Look, Jurgen has been good for the U.S. Right. I mean, I think Jurgen's done a good job. I mean, he you can question some of the things he did, and he did not have a perfect World Cup, and nope. he did not pick the perfect 23-man roster. And obviously, again, the hindsight's always twenty twenty, and who knew that Josie Altura would be injured? But you can question some of his decisions on the roster. 
You can question some of his decisions in, in lineups. You can question some of his decisions on substitutions. But you can also give him credit for a lot of the moves that he made. And that worked out pretty well. So I gave him, I think, I, if I recall correctly, I gave him like a C or a C plus. He did okay. He got him out of the group stage. But now we're going to see what he does now, that you have to transition away from this past generation with Clint Dempsey likely moving on, Jermaine Jones, Kyle Beckerman. Tim Howard, you know, moving on, likely possibly moving on. Uh, we're going to see what he can do now. We're really going to see this next four years if he can build on this, on what he's done already. And uh, you know what? It, it remains to be seen. I'm not, I'm not saying he will do it, and I'm not saying he won't do it. But I, I, I want to see it. I want to see what he does. I want to see what he does. Wait, wait, wait. You really think that Clint Dempsey is going to move on? He's going to be 36 in 2018. Like it, and, and I tell Dude, you what, he, could, he him, could still ball at that age. Talking to him after the match, he really sounded like someone who was accepting that, you know what, there'll be another generation of guys. And I don't, I, like, I don't know. Like, you know what? I'll put it to you like this, right? If he's 36, or I think, well, how old is he? Is he 30 or 35? Uh, I don't know Clint Dempsey he's, is 31 years old. Right. So he'll be 35 at the next World Cup. And for me, I just feel like an attacking player at that age, like, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's the temperament of a guy that you're going to have come along and be a, you know, a backup guy. Like, I don't know. I, I, I just don't, I, and, and again, listening to him in the post game interviews, he sounded like someone that was already looking at that next, at that next team as being not his team. So that maybe that from that standpoint, that's why I don't see him being there. So, you know, I don't know, man. He's the time, age. Age. I don't know. It's well, tough to fight all day. I mean, thirty. How many thirty-five-year-old midfielders are there in the World Cup? How many? Not many. And there's well, that are reason. that are good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe yeah, we'll so, see. Yeah. Uh, maybe we'll see Dempsey and, and Howard at the uh, at the next Olympics if the U.S. qualifies. Uh, that's a, that's that'd be an interesting one for sure. I mean, and look, Tim Howard could probably be a backup on the 2018 team if he wanted to be. Um, I mean, he's already even saying, look, Brad, it's Brad. It might be time for Brad Guzan. Brad, Brad Guzan's doing well, very well at Aston Villa. Yeah, he's no, yeah. great quality. He's, he's going to be a good number one. So I don't think anyone needs to cry over Tim Howard uh, moving on because, you know what, he's had his time. He had a great, you know, what is it, seven-year run now as the starter at least, um, seven, eight years. Yeah. So, you know what, he's he's put in his time. He's going to go down as one of the all-time greats. And it, this happens. This this is how it works. You know, you you have generations. You have your cycles. You have the new guys come in. The old guys leave. It, it is what it is. And, 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 and then it, they all become coaches, and, or or TV analysts. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, you know what? Yeah. So Dempsey in 2018, I don't see it. But you know what? If he's there, hopefully, you know, hopefully he can still ball. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm sure Dempsey's still going to be a baller at that age. And the other, like you mentioned, the other thing with Howard, I mean. Look, I think it's awesome. I mean, it kind of stinks that Howard's retiring. I mean, not retiring, but, you know, leaving the U.S. stage. But, I mean, oh, how unfortunate. We have to go to Brad Guzan, who's probably just as good as Tim Howard, too. I mean, Guzan's a beast. And it's going to be nice to see him get some games, too. Two, one. Moving on to a, another subject that regards Jurgen Klinsmann. Those are the comments made by Landon Donovan following the U.S. Uh, elimination from the World Cup. Landon Donovan went out and uh, pretty much said that, you know, he thought that the tactics employed by Jurgen were not the best. And he said that the formation Jurgen used, um, you know, that's not going to inspire players. And, and I mean, look, pretty much Donovan was, was throwing some shade on, on Jurgen Klinsmann, which has brought up a point, Ivis. Does he, does Landon Donovan have a fair point here going against Jurgen Klinsmann or is just, is this just sour grapes? 
Or here's the thing, right? It, 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 it's not an either, an either or situation because um, there's something to be said for the points that he made, many of the points that he made. But again, it comes down to this. He shouldn't be the one saying it. He shouldn't. I mean, you are the guy who didn't make the team. You are the guy who were very public about being unhappy about not making the team. It's going to come off like sour grapes, whether you speak the truth or not. And it's funny to me how the divide is amongst the, the fans reacting to, to Donovan's comments, because basically what you have are the people who were unhappy about Donovan not making the team. They're loving it. They're loving it because Donovan's their guy. And he's calling out the coach who they clearly don't think knows what he's doing. So, of course, it's like, oh, yes, he's speaking the truth. This is this is perfect. He did nothing wrong. And then you have the other extreme, which are the people like, hey, Landon, shut up. You didn't make the team. Get over it. And my thing is this, like, he didn't need to say it. There's going to be criticism of some of the things uh, Klinsman did. And the public's going to do that. The media's going to do that. If, you, if, if players that are actually on the team want to do that, then let them do that. But when you're the guy who didn't make the team, it's going to come off as sour grapes no matter how you put it. No matter how right you are or how right you think you are, it's sour grapes. And look, he didn't do he didn't make these comments as an analyst on ESPN. He made these comments asked by the media, asked by journalists after an L.A. Galaxy training session. He didn't have to say the things that he said, but he said it because, you know what, he wanted to throw some dirt on Jurgen Klinsmann. No, there's no other way to put it. And you know what? This what his comments tell me is that there's absolutely there's absolutely something to the idea that he and Klinsman didn't have a great working relationship. And if they did have a great working relationship, and Klinsman didn't see Landon Donovan as, Donovan as a starter, why in the world does anyone think that that would have been a good arrangement with having Donovan on this team? Uh, if he wasn't going to start her, and clearly he doesn't respect Landon uh, Jurgen Klinsmann. You've never heard Landon Donovan rip Bruce Arena, right? You didn't hear Landon Donovan criticize Bruce Arena after the 2006 World Cup when they crashed out uh, of the group stage, and Landon Donovan was absolutely atrocious in that World Cup. You never heard him criticize Bruce Arena. You know why? He respects Bruce Arena. He, obvi- he clearly, clearly, clearly does not respect Jurgen Klinsmann. So if you don't respect the coach, and the coach doesn't necessarily think you're going to be a starter on his team. Why would he bring you to the World Cup? And and I think I think if anything that maybe sheds some light on things. That clearly something's up there because if there was real respect there, he wouldn't have made these comments. That's what I honestly believe. And if anything, some people are looking at it now and saying, you know what, Klinsman was right not to bring him. And. Is that what Landon Otterman wanted to do, just to get this little satisfaction of throwing dirt on Klinsman? And again, going back to it, was there truth to some of the things he said? I, I agree with some of the things he said mm-hmm. as far as you know, playing Dempsey all alone up top diminished his, his contribution. Playing Bradley in an advanced role diminished his contribution. What I do find interesting is that what he did not say but implied is that all of this goes back to the fact that he didn't make the team. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was, that, that, he didn't say it outright, but that's what that was at the heart of it all. And for me, as I said earlier, it wasn't about him. It was about Terrence Boyd. It was about not bringing a true target striker <clears throat> to cover you in case Atsuru got hurt. He's like, I tell you right now, Lynn Donovan wasn't going to be a target striker, right? So how did he? How would he have fixed that? He wouldn't have. He could have so, been. Come on, Demarcus Beasley yeah. played left back. I mean, Donovan would have been anything. Come on, Ivis. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, you know what? <laughs> I just think he didn't need to go there. He didn't need to go there. He he needed to let sleeping dogs lie. Yeah. Show, show some class. 
because I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what any Len Donvin fan or, 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 or apologist wants to say. It wasn't a classy move on his part. And and, nope. and, and I don't want to hear this. Oh, he's entitled to his, his opinion. He's entitled to his, it's a free country. Everyone should be able to express their opinion. Yes, that's true. It's not a crime what he did, but it didn't look good. It wasn't a good look. It's like the ex. Here's my analogy, right? It's like being the ex-boyfriend, right? Who got dumped by, you know, longtime girlfriend. And then. The mm-hmm. girlfriend shacks up with, uh, you know, some guy who's like it's, it's kind of sketchy. Like even if you think the guy is she's with is sketchy or even if you think bad things about the ex, you don't say it because, you know what, even if you're being honest, you're coming off like the bad guy. Yep. You're coming off like the bitter, bitter guy. And that's exactly how Landon came off. He's the bitter ex. That's exactly how it came off. And you know what? Like it's it, honestly it's sad because the guy has such an amazing national team career, and now he decides instead of like being quiet, letting letting the public say these things for him, letting his advocates and supporters say this for him, he says it, and it kills it. It kills it because you know what? Look, I don't think he was ever going to play for the national team again anyway, as long as Klinsman's the coach. Like I think that's pretty unlikely. But now it's like he took a match and just said, "Woo, let me blow it up," and it didn't need to happen. It did not need to happen. I agree. I, I can't say any better than that. I, I'm in the same boat as you, where it's one of those things where it's just why well, it's just no point. There's no point to say it, and especially after the comments where Donovan was saying that he was rooting against the U.S., then he woke up and he's like, "I can't yeah, do that." You know, it just it's it just it's a compounding yeah, thing now it, for me. That's how not, I see it. It just I look at it, it and I'm like, not, I'm like, I'm like, why, why, why even say anything now at this point? And he had and he had been handling things well yeah. before that. I mean, you had the funny commercials. Where, oh, the know, commercial was hilarious! Yeah, I mean, like, like he was, too, like he was handling handling it great. Like, let, like he won, he won so many points for how he was handling it, and then, and and he he completely lit a match and and just burned all that away with these comments that he just didn't have to make. And you know what? It doesn't matter if it's true. It doesn't matter if people if people agree with you. It doesn't because you're still. The bitter ex, and that's a bad place to be when you're the legend that you are. You're the you're a Hall of Fame, best best national team player of all time. There are people everywhere who think Landon Donovan should have made the team. I mean, I am staying right now. I am staying in Brasilia with my family. Right, in, I, I have family in Brazil. I'm staying with my aunt and uncle, and my uncle's a big soccer fan. Obviously, he's Brazilian, and. He he! At least five times since we've been here, we've had the discussion where he tells me Jurgen Klinsmann should have brought Landon Donovan. My Brazilian uncle is telling me this. So look, people around the world think Landon Donovan should have been on the team, right? So let them speak for you, Landon. Let them let them make the point. Let them say these things. Let the truth come out. Let because you know what? If anybody else says it, then there's a building case for it. Now you've not only taken that away. Uh, like no one else has to say it because you've said it. But instead of it looking like the case against Klinsman, it looks like the bitter, the sour grapes guy. Well, and, you said and, it looks like the bitter ex boyfriend that everyone just eventually is just like, oh, okay, all right, okay. It's it's. We'll it's let so, you say it, what you want to say, but it, we'll it move very, on. It was very unfortunate, and and you know what? It, whatever. It'll 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 be water under the bridge. People will forget, and hopefully, years from now, you know what? He'll still be the Hall of Famer. He'll Landon will still be the best American player. Uh, in history, but it, as for right now, it it wasn't it wasn't his finest hour. Let's just put it that way. I agree. I, watch, I, and 
I'm calling it right now. Jurgen will take the high road and give Lane Donovan a spot in the Olympics for that team. I'm calling yeah, it right listen, now. Yeah, good luck with that one. I'm, I'm, calling, uh, I'm calling it right now. There'll, there'll be snow in Houston in July before Lane Donovan wears the U.S. national team jersey again with Jurgen Klinsmann as the coach. I'm calling okay. it. I'm, I'm just. I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm just saying. I miss. Landon Donovan will retweet a John Klinsmann tweet. Before it landed, that's not, it's not happening. It's not happening. Um, I'm calling it. I'm, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm allowed to make predictions on this show. No, no, uh, hey, hey, yeah, listen, yeah, yeah. Hey, if your inclusion goes and takes a job somewhere else in the next year or two, then yes, maybe like Ga- where Galatasaray. That's not happening. They're already, they're no, no, I know, I know, I know. I'm just being but, bad. But 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 if look if if, if Klinsman, for whatever reason is not the U.S. coach in the next two years, it's not going to happen. Hey man, when it comes to managers, anything's anything can happen. No, so. I know it is, but come on, the, the contributions that that Jurgen has done outside of the U.S. national team, he, look, Jurgen has been good, as we've said. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Look, look back to what the whole point is: the only way Landon Donovan will wear a U.S. uniform again is if Jurgen Klinsmann leaves his job in the well, next two years. Oh, well, I, I see. What you, are you trying to break some news right here? Bum, bum, no. Bum, bum. no, man. No, it I'm sounds just, like you're reporting some breaking news right now. I was. <laughs> No, I'm just <laughs> so I'm just explaining how the extreme scenario that would require for Landon Donovan to wear a U.S. national team uniform again. All right, uh, okay. I, I was giving you your platform to break some news, but okay. No, no, no. no I'll, 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 I'll let I'll let other people and other shady websites and Twitter accounts, uh, you know, speculate on fake news. Uh, okay. Well, speaking of fake news, Ivis, uh, with great performances. Um, I was gonna do a Spider-Man quote, but I lost it. Anyways, uh, some guys in the U.S. I was gonna do like, what is that? Like, great response. I can't remember the quote from Spider-Man. I'm sure people with great, with, with great power yes. comes great. Yeah, I was gonna translate that to with great performance comes with great. I don't know. I was gonna do. I, yeah. I lost it. Anyways, um, some guys have looked good as we said at the World Cup, which brings up now some transfer talk for certain guys. I mean, obviously the biggest one. Over the last couple of days, if you've been paying attention to anything soccer-related, you've seen that DeAndre Yedlin's name is being thrown around for literally every single club, including Divas FC here in Phoenix, Arizona. So, uh, I, was, I mean, what's, what's the reality of DeAndre Yedlin actually leaving the Seattle Sounders? Well, he's going to leave. I would, I, would, I, would put, I would put serious money on him leaving. Um, I think it's just a case of you need to strike while the iron's hot. There is serious attention and interest in, in, in DeAndre Yedlin. From every league in Europe, and uh, I know there's a lot of reports out there about deals being done and certain teams being interested, and, and there's a, there's a lot of questionable stuff out there. Uh, as far as I know, there's no deal done as of uh, what is today Monday. There's no deal done at all anywhere, um, but it will be interesting to see. I tell you what, in the next week, you could absolutely see something go down. Um, I, I think he will leave. I think you know if, if the price isn't too extreme. Uh, the MLS slash Seattle asking price isn't too extreme. I think he's going to make the move. And if you're Seattle, his his transfer stock is not going to go any higher than it is right now uh, for a while. So if you want to get paid, you got to move him now. Uh, and I think it's interesting, you know, considering the fact that the guy before the World Cup had some pretty awful games. I mean, it's easy to forget that, you know, like, uh, you know, the Portland game, the New England game. Oh, man, that New England game before he left for the World Cup was unbelievably awful. He's still a young player. He's a work in progress. <clears throat> tons of talent, obviously. Tons of ability. He's fearless. But you know what? He's not He's not the finished product by any means. But you know what? European teams don't care. They saw him at the World Cup. They saw him be amazing at the World Cup. They're ready to splash the cash. What, what would be and, a good fit for him, though? 
Uh, that's a good question. You I mean, because I mean, one club that that did come up is Roma, and that's an interesting one because their back line is it's not. I mean, their back line is, is pretty old, and you wonder if he gets some playing time there. But I mean, would he be better served playing in 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 the Netherlands or France, a, a league where he could you know slowly develop before he makes a jump to that that next tier of of I, I, look? Countries. He's not going. Look, I'm just, look. Let's keep it real. He's not going to Roma and starting at Roma like right off the bat. That's not that. That's not happening. Like that's he's not ready for that. I mean, as much as yes. He, he, he did great at the World Cup, had some great games, but being a pro day in and day out in the top four league, is he ready for that yet? Uh, you know what? Take take it easy. Uh, a, a big team could buy him and then loan him out. That's a possibility as well. You want to, you want to, you know, for the teams that have that kind of cash that they can invest in a younger player. He's only 20 years old, folks. So don't think that, oh, he's, he's going to start, he's going to go start for a top four team in Europe off the uh, top four league. In Europe, right off the bat, like that's that's a little that's a little quick. Having said that, he showed enough that teams are ready to invest in his his potential. So, <clears throat> I know I think Italy is absolutely a possibility, um, and obviously England is a little tougher. I, I, his work permit situation would be a little tricky because you know as like as far as I know, he doesn't qualify. I know there was some stuff about the you know Lat his Latvi, Latvian descent. Potentially helping him, who knows? All this stuff comes out of the woodworks, but I think he will be sold, and uh, I think he should be sold. I think he should absolutely go to Europe, and hopefully, wherever he does go, they put him in a situation where he continues to develop. Buying him and having him just sit on a bench, a la Josiato Real, isn't going to do anybody any favors. So, I would say it for me, it's probably like ninety-five percent chance he gets sold. Um, it's just a matter of. Does he go to a good situation? Um, some other guys, the two center backs for the U.S. team. They look. Matt Beasler's in his prime right now. Omar Gonzalez is a little younger. Um, I mean, some some interest heating up for these guys. What, what do you, what's the latest on this that you're hearing? <coughs> well, I heard some interesting stuff today on uh, Matt Beasler. Ooh, breaking news. Am I, uh, I mean, I, I'm not going to give any. Oh, hard cue, cue the sound right effect. Now. Hold on. Bum, 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 bum. All right, here goes. I'm not going to break anything on the <sighs> What is wrong with you? If I break something, it'll be on gold.com. Let's just keep it real. So anyway, this show is... I'll get. I'll offer some general <laughs> detail, and I will say that I heard a pretty big number as far as the asking price for Beasler. And I'm going to wonder if that's going to keep a deal from happening, because I'll tell you right now, as good as he is, he's 27 years old. European teams don't spend big money on a player who's 27, because when it comes down to it, there's no resale potential there, right? You sign a player. Let's just say you buy Matt Beasley, right? Sign him to a four-year deal. Mm-hmm. He's going to be 31 at the end of that deal. You're not selling him. <coughs> You're not going to sell him at 29, 30 years old and make more money. That's why they spend bigger money on the younger players. That's why DeAndre Yedlin, I think, can generate a big transfer because there's that there's that resale potential. There's that possibility to multiply your investment. And that doesn't exist with a 27-year-old player. That was the same thing with Clint Dempsey uh, when he went to Tottenham. Uh, and there seemed to be not a ton of interest in Dempsey, even though he was coming off an amazing year at Fulham. And it was because of his age. And that goes into the equation when teams start calculating how much they're willing to spend on a player. DeAndre Allen is 20 years old. You're talking multiple contracts still to go on this kid. If he realizes his potential, you could you could talk a serious windfall for a modest investment. Matt Beasler, as great as he is, and I think, you know what, if he goes to Europe, I think he's going to be absolutely solid. He can play in any, for me, he can play in any league in Europe, but teams calculating transfer value <coughs> will see a 27-year-old 
who isn't going to go for who isn't going to be resold unless you resell them to MLS in three years, right? So here's hoping MLS doesn't get crazy and get carried away with the asking price on Matt Beasler because he's good enough to go, and I really do hope he goes to Europe. Uh, Omar Gonzalez, what about him? Um, well, from what I understand, and I've written this, uh, Omar Gonzalez's contract basically has like a transfer buyout. His new his new contract, the the, the multi million dollar contract he signed, which was the richest for a defender in MLS history, because when Rafa Marquez signed, he was signed as a midfielder. So you don't want to count that one for anyone trying to throw the well. Rafa made more money. No, Omar Gonzalez biggest deal for a defender in MLS history, and part of the reason for behind this deal was MLS and the Galaxy saw a young center back who was heading toward the World Cup and could possibly reap a big windfall. And he did his part, had two really good games. Now there's interest in him. Um, and so I, for me, I think he's going to get sold. Cruz Azul has been re- rumored and reported as a te- uh, potential destination. Monterey has long been interested in him. I, I think he will go. Uh, the, the the asking price or the contracted uh uh, transfer release whatever that I'm hearing mm-hmm. isn't that outrageous so from that standpoint I definitely see him moving um, so I think you'll at least see two of these guys go I don't know if you'll see all three go I don't know if MLS is ready to let that happen but for me I think they're all ready to go I think they all should go now I know some people will disagree and some people will say hey DeAndre Yellen he should stay he's too young he needs to develop he can develop in Europe and he needs to strike while the iron's hot that's my opinion uh, going back to the World Cup before we move on, uh, Costa Rica, Ivis put the Netherlands on the ropes, almost defeated them. And uh, look, it was great for CONCACAF to have Mexico, the U.S., both advance. But I mean, it was awesome to see the run that Costa Rica went on. And unfortunately, it had to come to an end. And the Netherlands did dominate them. But congratulations, Costa Rica. It, it, was, it was awesome to see him get that far. Right. I mean, it, it, unbelievable performance. At the end of the day, Costa Rica was in a what a, a group that was if the US's group wasn't the group of death Costa Rica's group absolutely was a group of death when you think about the three opponents coming into the World Cup <clears throat> three former World Cup winners I mean you're talking England Uruguay Italy Costa Rica was clearly seen as the last place team in that group they won the group and then they finished undefeated because they you know they didn't lose the net you know you lose when you lose in penalties it's not a loss it's a draw because it you know yes, you right, played you played regulation and extra time <clears throat> so credit to their head coach, <coughs> the Colombian Pinto, who I've been a big fan of for a while because you know he's been doing good work with Costa Rica for some time now. I mean, you can go back to the Hex, to the to the Gold Cup. Uh, he does he's done a really good job of establishing a structure there, defensive structure, organized counterattacking system, making full use of what he had at his disposal, and he got the most out of that group. And you know. The Costa Rican fans are, are in heaven right now. Even though they went out in the quarters, the fact that they got to the quarters when no one thought they'd even win a game was unbelievable. And you have to give tip your hat to the Ticos. And it makes things interesting in CONCACAF because <clears throat> it's been U.S.-Mexico as the big dogs in CONCACAF for so long. And it's nice to see, hopefully, Costa Rica build on this and now make things interesting at the next Gold Cup and make things interesting at Copa America 2016. They've got a lot of talent there. Mm-hmm. Kaylor Navas, Kaylor Navas, Joel Campbell, Brian Ruiz, uh, Giancarlo Gonzalez, the Columbus Crew center back, who's also attracting transfer interest. Uh, you know, he, he he was excellent at the, at the World Cup. So, uh, you know what? They're headed in a pretty good direction right now. Uh, moving over to the Americans abroad, Freddie Adu is on trial with uh, Zed Alkmar. Ivis, I think that's a good spot for Freddie Adu. 
it's it's tough to say. I mean, it's good to see him get the opportunity. And obviously Ernie Stewart, his former teammate at DC United, uh, giving him a chance. And, and <clears throat> obviously Josie Alcador was at AZ and him and Freddie are pretty tight. Uh, I don't know what happened at, at uh, Staubach. I know he went there and uh, I thought he was going to go there and go for a little trial or whatever. But if he can latch on to AZ, that'd be an amazing opportunity for him because the Dutch league is an open league, attack-minded league. It's a great place for him and his skill set. And Azed, as we know, is a very attack-minded team. It's it it really could be the perfect fit. I mean, it still comes down to Freddie Adu and how much and how much he's ready to put in to to earning that spot. And I know he has to realize his career is at a crossroads and he's running out of opportunities. Then the fact that he's gotten some opportunities now uh, just shows you know that there's still belief in in that he has something to offer. Um, and hopefully, you know what? Hopefully he takes the full advantage of it. Because, I mean, he's still, what is he, 24 now? Is he 20, 25? 24. I think he's 24. Um, even though he's only 24, it's like <coughs> he's been around Europe. He's been through so many leagues already that, like, there can't be many more opportunities for him um, at top leagues. So here's hoping he can latch on there and, and realize the potential that everybody knows and that a lot of people believe that he has. So we'll see. Uh, Terrence Boyd is also on the move. I was leaving Austria for the Bundesliga 2. He was joining Red Bull uh, Leipzig. I I can't say that. Um, Anyways. Leipzig. Leipzig. Thank you, Ivis. The the interesting thing about this is is you're saying, oh, why is Terrence Boyd joining the Bundesliga 2? Well, this team was only founded five years ago and is uh, quickly climbing up the, uh, the German football ladder. They're now, they got promoted last year. Actually, they got back-to-back promotions. Uh, so they're in the Bundesliga 2 this year. I mean, obviously, they're owned by Red Bull. Um, I mean, do you think this is a good move for Terrence Boyd to be heading back to Germany, even though it's the Bundesliga 2? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, this is clearly a team on the rise. They have they have money. They're owned by Red Bull. And they really want to be in the Bundesliga. And uh, you know what? They, they're clearly a bullish team. They're investing. And, and if you're Terrence Boyd, you want to be in the Bundesliga. And if you join this team and you have a big year— all of a sudden, you are back in the Bundesliga as a starter in the Bundesliga. So I think it's a great move for him. Um, I know some people might think, oh, Bundesliga 2, that's beneath, you know, you should be playing in a top division. But it's a little different when you're talking about a team that's skyrocketing up the charts, yeah. skyrocketing up the, up the up the levels. Like, clearly, they have the financial backing and the ownership group that is thinking big picture. So you could totally understand why, why Boyd would want to buy into that. Now he's back in Germany. So, you know what? I think it's a great move for him. And uh, I know I know MLS fans and I know U.S. fans are thinking, hey, Red Bull Leipzig, Red, New York Red Bulls, let's get, let's get a loan deal going on. <coughs> I don't know if that's going to happen, but that'd be pretty crazy if it did. That would be actually pretty cool. Uh, well, Ivis, man, that wraps up today's SBI show. I know you have a lot of Brazilian things to get back to, the beach, drinks, you know, <laughs> hanging out. I, well, I'm in Brasilia right now, so there is no beach. But uh, wow. I'll be heading to I'm heading to Sao Paulo uh, in the morning uh, ahead of Argentina, Netherlands, and after that, I will be heading to Rio. And yes, then I will be off to the beach. Wait, do you, do you got a prediction for me? Uh, semifinals? Yeah, man, I want everything. Uh, I'm gonna go Argentina and Brazil. I know, I know, Brazil's the underdog. Brazil's the underdog without Neymar, but I, I just think the home team—they're gonna—they're gonna find some magic. They're gonna—I think—I think, I think uh, Willian is gonna step in for uh, for Neymar and do some things, and I think Oscar's gonna step up. Well, this then, okay, who, who wins it? 
The whole thing? I, well, I picked Brazil before the tournament. You I still stick I had, with them? I got, I, I got to stick with them. And, and how crazy would it be if Neymar with his fractured vertebrae in his back takes some painkillers and plays in the final? That's the rumor now. Um, if, if Brazil gets to the final, I can't see them losing. I just can't. I just think the, 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 the backing of the country is going to be so strong. Like, they, like you can't lose at home. I just don't th- I, uh, you know, I think any of these teams could win. I, 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 I don't see the Dutch winning. I'll put it to you like that. If there's yeah. a team I don't see winning, it's the Dutch, but I think it's going to be Brazil or Argentina. <clears throat> Either Brazil delivers for their country or Lionel Messi finally adds the world cup to that loaded resume of his yeah see i, I see this i i think argentina is going to win it all and messi will win the world cup and then he'll get you know put on that next level of, of superstardom you know where pele uh you know beckenbauer and, and maradona is then he'll be on i mean look messi's there he needs to win the world cup to get to that that like that top tier that level zero where like the legends can live on forever and stuff like that like pele he, I mean, he looks younger now than he was when he was playing like 50 years ago messi will get there Argentina is going to win it, Ivis. I'm calling it. All right, we'll see. We'll see. You, uh, you, uh, Franco Panizo, who uh, our SBI intrepid World Cup writer, who actually just went home today. Yeah, he did picked, he get he, kicked out of the country? That's what I heard. <laughs> he should have for some of the things he's done here. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, really? Um, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, you can't, you can't yeah, gloss over that I fact, Ivis. No, you're, kidding. no, you're not. You're such a liar. Listen, I know you hate him, but stop it. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is so. That that is reckless. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, he picked Argentina. I'll give him the credit. He picked Argentina before the World Cup. He picked Argentina to beat Brazil in the final. I picked Brazil to beat Argentina in the final. Um, hopefully that is the final because an all-South American final in Rio oh, at the awesome. Americana would be unbelievable. So let's hope that happens. I think that would be great. Uh, well, Ivis, man, I, I got I got to let you go, man. I, I got to get back to doing stuff, and you need to get back to doing your things. Yes, sir. I, I will leave you with this, Ivis. I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, the other day... Uh, this is how short I am and it got confirmation that I am short I was doing a TV appearance the other day when I walked into the studio there was a stepping stool for me because uh, I'm, so, I'm so short on TV Ivis that they forced me to stand on the stepping stone so I looked a little taller so your rumors are true that I am short well I already knew that but now everybody knows so <laughs> I guess you don't, you don't have to use a booster for the SBI show no I don't but when I saw it I was just like oh crap <laughs> yeah I'm sure your ego is bruised it was a little bit. <laughs> you still have great hair, so yeah. It's all hey, like we said, man. Like Graham Zuzzi, dude, you can have a bad performance, but if, if you have good hair, it masks everything. Yeah, that's that's what she said. But anyway, um, yeah, man. <laughs> <You're> so- <laughs> <laughs> all right, my man. All right, dude. Well, you have a good time, Brasilia. Enjoy the rest of the World Cup, man, and I'll catch up with you later. All right. Yeah. Less. Yes. Hopefully, we can do a show on Thursday. Yeah. So- sorry to everyone. I mean, as you know schedule with ivis and the internet i mean you know like i mean ivis is battling insects that are as big as him you know with a machete and everything so i mean it's been tough garrett and garrett's hung over every other day that's not true i'm kidding i'm kidding that's not true <laughs> all right actually i didn't do it i didn't well, what did i do no no okay anyways um <laughs> i was gonna regale you with my fourth right, of july weekend but we can move on anyways Ivis, have a good time man i'll, I'll catch up with you later thanks man and as always everyone thank you for listening the SBS show. We'll be back again later. Thank you for the comments. Thank you for the reviews and thank you for all the support that you give Ivis and myself. This is the SBS show.